Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have another summer edition of The Deciding Point, our weekly show where we break down the many results from the countless players with college ties currently competing on the Pro Tour. Of course, this past week was U.S. Open qualifying week. I'm going to go ahead and deem the week a success for the many college players in the draw. Of course, we had qualifiers. We had players earning impressive victories. We'll get into all of that on today's show. Talk about the round one results we've seen thus far as well, of course. Beyond that, there was Winston-Salem, Cleveland at the tour level. You had challengers, ITFs, a fun week ahead as well. We'll talk about all of that in what, again, is one of our final summer editions of this show. And joining me this week, as he has each and every Every week of the summer is a man you all know best as the returning champion of returning champions here on this show. Founder of the No Ad No Problem blog and podcast, our weekly beak reporter on the grounds of the college tennis world. And of course, a man we learned last week, not the best at racing go-karts. It's our dear friend, John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you doing this week? I'm good. You know, you say countless college tennis players. I feel like I've been doing a lot of counting lately, particularly <laughs> during the Grand Slam. Uh, that's when we're, do- you know, counting all of our college tennis players out there competing. But I'm doing well. It's always an exciting time. The qualifying of a Grand Slam, the first few days, uh, it's busy times. There are always... It feels like now double-digit players in at least one of the singles draws you know, a lot of that time there's bleed over with the Americans as well. And you're seeing double digits in both categories. It's a fun time to be a tennis fan here based here in the States, because again, it's just a lot of familiar faces, a lot of names that are also 24, 25, 26. You feel like you're going to be sticking around for a while, if not younger. And so, you know, again, very fun times in the tennis world certainly has given us plenty to discuss on this show throughout the course of the summer. And you know, again, before we know it, it's going to be All-Americans, it's going to be Fall Nats, it's going to be Regionals, we're going to be doing our Top 10 preview shows. I'm almost nervous thinking about it, Jay. We got a lot of college tennis coverage ahead, but of course, where we always like to start this show is with the biggest news from the week. Now, not a ton of bulletin board items, but certainly one from a 30,000-foot view, a sentimental news note for all of us to start the show. And it's the fact that John Isner, who has not only been the face of American tennis for the majority of the past decade and a half, he's been the face of college tennis ties in the pros for that same time span. And yes, I know we had Jennifer Brady, Danielle Collins exceed him at majors, but you know, Isner's been a top 20, top 10 guy. He's won 1,000 level events. He's been a semi-finalist at a slam. He's won significant doubles titles as well. He is the highest aspiration of what you hope for in that college to the pro pathway, a guy who needed to grow into his body, who needed time to physically and, you know, again, mentally mature. And he experienced that in Georgia, ended his career as an NCAA champion in all but singles. Um, Shout out Samdev Devarman, took me four minutes to work in a Virginia who from my era He's retiring. The U.S. Open is going to be his final event. He earns a straight set victory today. And for the record, 
The draws kind of open up for him. There's a world where he could face a Tsitsipas. That's not the best matchup. There's a world where we see John Isner in the second week. Jay, we were talking about the news items. I said we didn't have much. I apologize for stealing your thunder there, but anything you'd like to add? Well, if he doesn't beat Tsitsipas, he's also in doubles with Jack sure. Sock. They could certainly make a deep run. But yeah, the reason I thought that this was noteworthy, just because he has been that mantle bearer for so long in college tennis. There was a great article in USA Today just about the rise of college tennis. A lot of great quotes from coaches like Manny Diaz, David Roditi. And, you know, looking back when John Isner broke on the scene in the late 2000s, there weren't as many college tennis faces. And so he has been been uh, that standard bear for so many of these players. And I think it's fairly poetic. I don't know if this is totally true, but we'll go with it. I mean, I think there's more former college tennis players in these draws today than really ever before. I mean, there's 27 players in the singles draws across men and women. That includes John Isner. And that certainly wasn't the case, at least when John Isner broke onto the scene. And so it is becoming uh, more and more of a trend to quote David Roditi, the world is watching. Uh, so I think it's, um, you know, it's it's a wonderful career that John Isner has had. He'll certainly be missed, um, but there will be many college, uh, former college players to carry on that standard. You had Isner, you had Anderson. Again, Collins and Brady have held that mantle for a while. Danielle Collins in particular on the women's side. You know, again, DeVarman was a top 80 guy. Um Obviously, Tennis Sandgren has made a couple of slam quarterfinals. He played college tennis. Stevie, top 35 guy. How often was it John, Kevin, Stevie, the examples you turn to for a decade? Yeah, it, it, the best part is the the game is healthier from a, that pathway standpoint than when Isner first entered it. You know, that's where he's leaving things. And, yeah, every week it's someone new. You know, again, Shelton plays team, a real shot at making another second week at a slam if he can get through that match in round two. Obviously, Nori's been a top 15 guy now for a while. And, you know, J.J. Wolf goes from number one player to pretty quickly inside the top 50. Eubanks, the path he's been in, been on, he's seated at a slam. I think this is only the third or fourth main draw match he's won at a slam. Uh, first round match, excuse me, he's won at a slam. It comes while he's seated 28th in the draw. Shout out John Isner. He has been the face of this pathway for quite a bit of time. And yes, uh, again, it will be weird to, to not have him in the draw, not click to that match and be like, all right, I'm going to give this two and a half minutes and then I'm going to switch over somewhere else because one Isner surface game is probably enough. That said, before we get into the round one U.S. Open results, let's talk qualifying, Jay. Let's start on the women's side of things. You mentioned 27 players in the main draw, a few of them coming through qualifying. Talk me through the most notable results. Well, two of them coming through qualifying to be specific. The first is Lily Miyazaki, a former Oklahoma player. And uh, this is her main draw debut at the U.S. Open. She had played one main draw uh, prior to this. She received a Wimbledon uh, main draw wildcard in 2022. She represents the U.K. But she came through qualifying here. Uh, and also earned a straight set victory in her first round match. So uh, we've spoken about her a little bit before on the show, some of the success that she's had on the kind of like upper echelon ITF circuits, like the 40Ks, the 80Ks, uh, but really great to see her uh, breaking out. We've had a few Oklahoma Sooners, her and Capuro break out, and we've chatted about them this summer. But so she was the first player uh, that made it through qualifying on the women's yeah. side. 
And she also won her first round match up to a new career high. Number 153 in the live rankings is the 27-year-old. Won her first round match in straight sets, if my memory is serving me correctly as well. And just, yeah, I mean, this is a significant breakthrough, not just from a ranking standpoint, but you're taking home north of $80,000 or at least pre-taxes. That is... It's a healthy paycheck and, again, funds the rest of your year at least moving forward. And given where she now is in the rankings, she can plan, okay, I'm getting into Australian Open qualifying. And, you know, again, it's a different path for her down the home stretch of this season. Those 40Ks become 60s and the 80s maybe a few 100s she sneaks into. Massive week for Miyazaki. Shout out to her. Who's number two? I mean, I know who's number two, but tell us number two. Thank you for teeing it up for me. Number two is Fiona Crawley, the top-ranked player in college right now from North Carolina. Received a qualifying wild card here at the U.S. Open. Comes through in in qualifying, wins her first two matches, both in third-set tiebreaks. They play a 10-point tiebreaker at the U.S. Open, and then she wins her final match there against Kimberly Burrell in straight sets. Uh a phenomenal run for Fiona Crawley, I think, uh, ate up a lot of headlines in terms of the success that she had in qualifying. Uh, we're recording this just a few moments after she lost her first round match against 2021 French Open finalist Anastasia Pavlachenkova, but an incredible run for Fiona Crawley. And she's not done yet. She has main draw uh, doubles with her teammate, Carson Tangillig. They've received a wild card for winning the NCAA doubles tournament. Yeah, and she didn't play a ton this summer, right? The final in Wichita, really the only notable result. You know, third set breaker, her match gets suspended due to rain. And at like, five all. Yeah, it's it's nuts. And, you know, again, she gets knocked out by Pavlachenkova. I guarantee you 90% of coaches are rooting for her to win the Open because they're like, yeah, go. <laughs> You're fine. We don't need you back at UNC. They've got enough coming back. Um, I, have a, I have a tough question for you. Do it. How far would Fiona have had to go to not come back? I've had this conversation with a few people, and answers are wildly different. Quarters. Which you is, make the, yeah, which is like, insane. Well, the thing is she hasn't played that much pros-wise. So it really – the thing is you can't answer it in a vacuum because you assume from there she would go on to play more pro events given what her ranking would be down the home stretch of the season. And now it's in a world where if she's top 200 by the end of December – now it's a real conversation. That said, she really has nothing to defend through the start of the year and could get a pretty good launch no matter what, even if she does go back. So that's the thing is it's like it would have to be – that's why quarters is like, okay, now, I mean, you're probably very near if not in the top 100 and you have to really consider it. Well, yeah, you didn't even talk about the prize money though uh, that you could get, you know. Anyways, I said fourth round. Uh, other people were yeah, we're around apart. Yeah, we're around apart. I almost was gonna say like I, she'd have to win the thing. I just either don't see a world Given in which she's probably like yeah. No, yeah, if she made the back. finals. I think she, even she'd be like, all right, hold on, <laughs> yeah. like time out. But anyways, fun thought exercise for what has really been a fun week for Fiona Crawley and seeing her success. And she played great today in the first round against Pavla Jinkova. I know a tough loss for her. She was uh, upset after the match, but I thought she really acquitted herself well. As fans of college tennis, it was great to see her have so much success. And we talked about that standard bearer for her to go out there and do that. I thought was phenomenal. 
Yeah. And Cal would be like, don't worry, we signed in Driva as a January commit. So yeah. you're good. You can go. Um, yeah, it, it's a massive week for her. And then, you know, again, players who came close, Amina Bechtis, Ariana Hartono, uh, McLean Kessler. Shout out to her final round qualifying appearance. That's very, very well done. Did I say McLean? McCartney, McCartney. Kessler. Yeah, I knew Sister it as soon as of it, McCain Just Kessler. know that I, I knew it as soon as it came out of my mouth. Um who else got wins? Anything else notable in terms of players who made... I mean, Glosman got a win. She's not in college yet, but she will be at Stanford. Very fun athlete. Jean yeah, Jean those... got a win. Like that, that was really it on the women's side. Am I missing anything? Yeah, those are all the players who made the final round of qualifying. Bactis, Hartono, yeah. um, uh, Kessler. Kessler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On the men's side, we had some qualifiers as well. Certainly some final round appear, uh, appearers. Jay, give me the breakdown. Yeah, well, I think the exciting thing about the all four of these qualifiers that we're talking about are all making their U.S. Open debut, uh, which is always exciting to see on the men's side. We have 2018 NCAA team champion and singles runner-up in Borna Goyo of Wake Forest. He qualified for his first U.S. Open. We've been chatting about him this summer as he slowly started to get closer and closer to the top 100. So that's a great result for him. And he won his first round match, so live rankings, top 95 debut. And so wow. a shout out to Borna. Yeah, for, uh, you know, again, has been inching closer and closer. Team champion, singles finalist. I Can I do it? It's earned it, right? He's top 100. I haven't said it in a while. One of the first teams I covered, one of my favorite teams I covered. Yes, I was there in 18 when Wake Forest won it, but the 19 Wake Forest team of Borna, Petros, Barr, fight like hell to find one more. It's one of the most it's one of the most impressive things I've ever seen because they would find ways to find a fourth point and you could just see them slowly but surely running out of gas in Orlando. Battle through what was it Virginia in the quarters. Nakashima is probably going to beat Petros in that match. That's when I knew, okay, he is the real deal. Battle with North Carolina just yeah. ran out of juice against Texas in the final. That's not to say that Texas team isn't good, but it's our job here to remind everyone of the history, which, by the way, that final's four years ago, Jay. You know, Wake Forest won their title five years ago. That was the first time Chris and I did an in-person pot. It's five years now. I'm going to cry. Um, anyways, shout out Borna. Top 100 guy. And again, I would not have said he was the best player on that team, which speaks to, I mean, that era. That 17 Wake Forest team had all these guys and they lost to Virginia. Like, come on now. It was a really fun era of college tennis. Anyways, Jay, Borna's one, who's two? Yeah, the second is Nicholas Moreno de Alboron, who played for UC Santa Barbara. Really special story for him. He grew up in New York City qualifying here for his first slam main draw ever. Uh, We've also mentioned him. I I got to see him at Stanford this past two weeks ago, really creeping up into the top 100. I was just looking, maybe you have this pulled up, but I know his first round was today. Um, I'm not sure how he did. I believe he he got knocked out in straight. uh, No, it wasn't in straight sets. Yeah, it wasn't straight sets to Senego. Got it. Okay. Well, he'll probably be flirting with that top 100. He was around 120-ish prior to qualifying. So a really great result for him. So many friends and family. uh, And it's just a really beautiful celebration for him when he qualified. No, absolutely. Again, we've been talking about him all summer. Built himself up ITFs, challengers. 
now makes it into the main draw of a slam and again healthy first round paycheck to help pay for himself moving forward talk about doing it the hard way two qualifiers in the books who else should we talk about jay coming out of qualifying well, there was only one other guy who made the final round of qualifying, and that was Elliot Spaziri of Texas, the uh, ITA Player of the Year, finished the year ranked number one. Uh, he got a good round and a good win in the second round of qualifying over former Illini standout Alex Kovacevic, but uh, had to retire in the third set against Emilio Nava. Really tough break. Uh, he had won the second set. Looked like he was struggling with maybe heat stroke or some heat-related illness, but uh, had to retire there down 3-1 in the third, which I know is uh, uh, crushing for him from the area. But yeah, a good result for him to kind of a little bit turn his summer around, have been struggling to get wins at the challenger level. So thought to get those two qualifying wins was a uh, you know, a good vote of confidence for him. Very well said. The other players, you know, Holt beat Richard in round one. That's just a fun matchup, USC Virginia. But that's, yeah, that's just, you know, that's crazy. No, that's just crime. a fun one for me. Yeah, I have to <laughs> yeah. say. Cressy, uh, second round qualifying loss, 7 6 in the third. Again, he's back in qualifying. Just feels worth noting given he was top 50 for a solid year. Kipson got a qualifying win, which is good. He's progressing towards that top 200 slowly, but surely having more success in challengers. That's really, I would say, yeah, the most notable things from the qualifying side for the men. That said, I do want to talk a little round one and a little bit wild cards for doubles and mixed. I'll let you pull up the wild cards while I bring up the round one results because I have all the day one results for now. That's called subtle producing. As we go, folks, women go three and two. On day one, Miyazaki straight set victory. Jennifer Brady, three and six. Good for her to get a win at a slam. Uh, start to get things rolling again. She's got a winnable match against this year's Australian Open semifinalist, Magda Lynette, in round two. Collins Goff, round three, is a collision course. Collins will play Mertens in round two. She beat Linda Vertova, two in love. It's a really good win for Danielle Collins, who's only two losses. In, you know, she lost to Iga back-to-back in Canada, Cincinnati. So I think Collins is playing really good ball right now. Miyazaki, Brady, Collins are women's winners. Navarro knocked out in three. Sharif a straight set loss. But to Julin, who's been a top 50 player on hard courts this year. Again, I break all of these down with more depth on the mini break day one recap. Men go six and seven. And here's what's most notable. Six and seven, no Isner, no... Uh, Kevin Anderson, six and seven overall. No Nori, by the way, either on this list. You had Sarundalo, four sets over Svida. Eubanks, straight sets over uh, four sets over Quan, which again doesn't have that many slams wins in his career. Do not take that for granted. The big one of the day, Mackey was freaking excellent in a four set win over FAA, and he made a quarter in Canada. Now beats FAA round one. He's had the better summer. He's the better player right now. We mentioned Borna Goyo, Rinki Hijikata, live ranking top 100 debut. He's up to 99 with his first round win over Katov. Ben Shelton doesn't face a break point, sets two, three, or four in his four set win over Pedro Kashin. So against Rundalo, Eubanks, McDonald, Goyo, Hijikata, Shelton, your six winners. Losses on the day Johnson, Tien, Giron, Nakashima, Quinn, Borges, Wolf in a really fun five-set match with Jung Ji Zhen. He was down two sets and a double break before forcing a fifth. I know I gave you a lot of results there, Jay. Your thoughts on all of those first-round results. Nine college wins isn't too shabby. No, and to your point at the top there, they're all 
relatively new faces, right? They're not faces that maybe we've been talking about for years. Uh, and there's a, a diverse crew there. So I think it's really exciting. Uh, a lot of different names to to speak about. I think this is an interesting tournament for Ben Shelton. I think he's gotten a lot of flack since his Australian Open run. Um, I think he'll probably feel a bit more comfortable here on home soil. This was his first U.S. Open win. That part of the draw is opening up a little bit. So uh, we'll see if Ben can make a, any noise in that section. I looked at the results today, not including Mickelson, but assuming Hanfman, who's down 6-3-4 love, loses to Yannick Sinner. The men 3-2 and two, uh, in round one action today. I know Stearns got a win earlier today. Crawley got knocked off. Um, Navarro lost. I mean, that was yesterday, though. I have that one on the record oh. already. Uh, so one and one overall in the day. I'm sure I'm missing some. Again, I'll recap it with more depth over on the Mini Break podcast later today. But 10 wins. 10 college wins in round number one. You know, again, Nori's still alive. Colin's still alive. I think both of them can er, – I think Collins in particular can do some serious damage. Her versus Goff is going to be a fun one for me. Wild cards, doubles, obviously a lot of top seeds given all the doubles ties in the top 100 of the rankings. And right now you look at the ATP doubles rankings, there are precisely 38 top 100 doubles players in the ATP doubles top 100. I'll get you the women's side here in a second, but okay, I have it in front of me, Jay, so I beat you to my second thing. There are 15 of the top 100 in the WTA doubles top 100 with college ties. Jay, wild cards, things we should look forward to. Yeah, well, we have two University of North Carolina wild cards. I mentioned Fiona Crawley and Carson Tangelig, your NCAA champions. They're joined by UNC alums, Jamie Loeb and McKenna Jones, who've received a wild card. We've spoken about their success. I think both uh, inching into the top 100 and doubles are just on the outside. They've won uh, quite a handful of titles this summer together, so it was great to see them get recognized there. A few other college-related names. You have uh, Angela Kulikov, formerly of USC, one of the top-ranked doubles players in the country during her time here uh, at USC. And then Quinn Gleason of Notre Dame. She received a wild card. She'll be playing with Elizabeth Mandlick. Um a, an American, but not a former uh, college player. I like how you phrased it on Twitter for Ethan Quinn, the triple crown of wild cards. I laughed. Just know that <laughs> that, that got a chuckle out of me, Jay. Um, yeah, there are your wild card things, folks. That's your update. You well, have those are the say. well, those are the women's. You beat me to the men's. Oh, right. I apologize. Yeah. go ahead. Uh, Ethan Quinn, the hat trick. I think I called it. Yeah, that's of, what it was. <laughs> triple crown would have been funnier. Wild. Maybe that was the edit I had in my head. <laughs> <Okay>. So. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Ethan Quinn has received uh, both, both a mixed doubles wildcard and a men's doubles wildcard. He'll be partnering with Nico Godsick, incoming Stanford freshman. Yes. Uh, they won the 2022 Kalamazoo doubles title together. Other college players, John Isner, Jack Sock, we mentioned Isner of Georgia, Will Blumberg partnering with Steve Johnson, Will North Carolina, USC action there. The Kalamazoo winners, you have uh, Aditya Ganesan, who's going to Cornell this coming these next day, I'm sure. sure. Uh, and then you have um, Kovacevic and Moreno de Alberon, Illinois and UCSB uh, getting wild card as well. Those are your wild cards. I am sure we will comment on them all next week. Let's move over to the tour level results. Not a ton to talk about. I would continue to point out Peyton Stearns just continues to put up first-round victories. She did so in Cleveland again last week. 
really fun six and three loss to Garcia in the round of 16. She's sitting at a career high 53 in the live rankings following her round one victory. The only thing I wanted to add to that in my Cleveland singles analysis, Westoff got to watch Peyton and Emma for the first time probably since we had them on a broadcast in college. And it was just fascinating because much like we have discussed on this show, he goes, dude, I just, I don't remember. I mean, that's not how he said it. That was a bad Westoff impersonation. I apologize. He was just like, I don't remember them being this fast. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, dude. He's like, they have real weapons. Like, He's like, they are pros now. That was his summation of his takeaway. And I was like, yeah, they, they're the real deal. And so, again, he sees it. If he sees it, the world should see it as well. Good win for Stearns. Navarro knocked out tight three sets. Was up 5-love in the third against Sasnovich. So we're not going to linger on that one too longly. I, uh, too longly. Too long. I do want to give a shout-out to Andila Suciati, who the former Kentucky standout, her and Miyukato have had a ton of success. You know, they've worked their way towards the top 50 of the WTA rankings. They take the title in Cleveland. They beat George's Ellen Perez and Nicole Melkar Martinez, one of the top 10 teams in the world, in a three-set final. I got to see Aaron Rutliff in person. It had been a while since I've gotten to see her play. That was fun. You know, Juliana Olmos, another player with college ties who was in the semifinals. I can't emphasize enough. And, you know, I played doubles. Eric played doubles. My family's a doubles family. Like, my parents just, especially Eric, was so thoroughly entertained by Melikar Martinez and Perez. And by Kato and Suciati. He was just like, this is freaking good tennis. And so, got to give it a shout out here. That any, any additional Cleveland thoughts, Jay? Well, I thought the crowds were fantastic in Cleveland, particularly for some of those doubles matches, some late night doubles looked like the crowd stayed late for that, which was awesome to see. Yeah, it really was delightful. And they have a particular affinity for Melkar Martinez and Perez, who have now made the final in back to back years on the men's side, pretty light. In the singles department, no quarterfinalists. Nakashima did get a win. Vukic did get a win. Since it's still the end of the summer, Mickelson got a win, but we'll, and he won today. But again, ties lose. We'll have that debate a different time. The real thing is doubles. Jackson Withrow, Nathaniel Lamons, also known as Nate Lamons, another title. Withrow's up to 31. Uh, Lamons is up to 30. Again, Lamons, SMU, Withrow, A&M. They have killed it so far this season. I think you look for Withrow overall in the year. It's something like, and I don't want to get it wrong. I'm looking at his singles activity. I was like, why don't I have the doubles record in front of me? Here it is now. You look for Withrow overall in the year. It's not giving me his record, but it's very good. They've been very good so far this season, Jay. Um, additional thoughts? Well, you know, we've talked all summer how it feels like every week there's someone new breaking through. And we didn't have that on the ATP last week. That just means we're going to have that breakthrough happen here at the U.S. Open this week. Yeah, uh, very well said. And we got a streak to uphold. Um, Skupski, a finalist there. Zelinsky is semifinalist. He was a very good doubles player at Georgia, so not a shock to see him have pro success. J.P. Smith, shout out, Tennessee, quarterfinalist. That's really the... Again, there are a lot of people in New York, so not a ton of tour-level results to touch on. I do want to rapid-fire through the challengers, Jay, because there were a few things to note. Blaze Bicknell, finalist in what in Lima, I believe, this past week. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, we've seen Bicknell win a pro title in the USTA SoCal Pro Circuit earlier this summer. I believe he won that final. Um, 
Obviously, he makes a challenger final here now with that result. Bicknell up to number 466 in the world. That's a career high. Still has another year of eligibility should he want to go play at Tennessee. I haven't heard anything to suggest he's not going to use it, but this is a significant result, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he had won a challenger match prior to this event. Uh, Looking at that now, he had not. So, um, you know, relatively weak draw i would say just given the um uh players going into us open qualifying there's typically a big drop off after that but he got a few top 300 wins uh so a good result for him he is on the tennessee roster right now but you know he's been on tennessee rosters before uh and we have not seen him play but yeah a great result for him uh becomes the second active collegian to make a challenger final this summer joining michael zhang uh who did that earlier mm-hmm. other big result Incoming Georgia freshman Ignacio Busi, quarterfinalist in singles, finalist, I believe, in doubles. They'll take what they can get. Um, and so shout out to them. Shakhtar Hildebrand, by the way, who have had a killer, killer fall together. They're into the top 400. They make the semifinals here of this challenger. So again, shout out to the recent AM departees. That's everything in Lima. Jason Jung, shout out to the former Michigan Wolverine. He makes a challenger final in Zhuhai. He's back up to number 238 in the world in singles. I think in doubles, there was someone I saw. Oh, Evan Zhu made a quarterfinal. So did Colin Sinclair. So I wanted to give them a shout out, but nothing particularly notable there. Although, again, shout out to Jason Jung. Continues to grind. Vashiro, semifinal in Prague. I think that qualifies. Well, we, we can't leave Zhuhai. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Who Arthur miss? Weber. He played college oh, tennis at St. Mary's College. Wins the event there. 31 years old. Wins his first challenger event. Had previously only won two 25Ks. Not one that is uh, littered throughout the college tennis record books, but certainly one nonetheless. Very well said. Again, rare oversight. That's on me. Um, so that's Prague. And good, uh, you know, again, Vashro semis in Prague. Anything I missed as well? Jay, you're giving me a look. No, uh, Weber was Zhuhai. Okay. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. I'm Vash- sorry. I meant to fast forward back up. Bergavi, Squire, semifinalists, finalists, respectively, at the event in doubles. Uh, last but not least, Augsburg. What, oh, Timo Stotter, another semifinalist. I swear to God, we keep talking about Timo Stotter currently sitting at 273, 10 off his career high, which he reached earlier this year. Um, so shout out to Timo Stotter, I suppose, uh, to end. Oh, and Connie Fronson, duh, wins the challenger title there. San Cullen, shout out Ole Miss. Henry Roca, shout out. They made semifinals, but you look for Connie Fronson now. He's sitting at 94 in the live rankings in doubles. Uh, excuse me, in the rankings in doubles. He did that in about a year. That's pretty darn impressive, especially to do it doubles only, not with you know single success, a big ATP result propelling you forward. That's very impressive stuff. And him and Sven Law played real freaking doubles. Uh, if you watch them in 2021, that's a freaking talented duo. Um, and so... Again, shout out Connie Fronson. Another challenger title for him, 94 right now in the live rankings. Anything to add there challenger-wise, Jay? Are you ready to move the ITFs? Yeah, move to ITF. All right, give me the ITF women's headline results. What do you have? Well, I've got one for you, and okay. uh, that is my Sawanka, formerly of Oklahoma State. She makes the final of the 40K there in China. She has had a really solid year. We've talked about her 
winning uh, a title earlier this year. She's now up to a career high of 253 in the world. So she played one year at Oklahoma State in 2022. Uh, was disappointed not to see her uh, for another year, but um, having a lot of success here on the Pro Tour. It's great to see. 29 and 11 overall in the year. That's a damn good year on the Pro Tour. I agree. It was a light ITF week on both sides of the aisle. Chanta, former Oklahoma standout, she made the semifinals at a 15K. Former Oklahoma State player Lisa Marie Ryu uh, in the quarterfinals there as well. What else did I have? Or maybe it was three. Um, or no, maybe it was just straight up two. It might have just been those two, Jay. Um was there an Amy's? Uh, what was it? I forget what maybe the other one was. I apologize if I'm blanking it, but that's really all I have on the women's side as well. You want to move over to the men? Mm-hmm. All right, give me the highlights. I've got one name for you, and that's uh, okay. Tim Handel, formerly of Northern Arizona University, NAU. He makes the final of 25K in Italy. Uh, he's been having uh, a good summer on the ITF Pro Circuit. He was the standout for me on the single side. Rashab Agarwal made a final. I had that. Um, yeah, other than that, Felix Corwin in a semi. You know, I had people like Arthur Ferry in a semi, Sander Jong in a semi. And I do want to point out Sander because, again, in about three months, he's worked himself into the top 723-6 to start his pro career. That's pretty darn good. Shout out Patrick Zaraj in a quarterfinal. Altamirano back on the board. I just hadn't seen his name in a while. Segerman, Garrett Johns go have some success in Monastir. It'll be interesting to see if we see their names a bunch over the next month. Again, light week. A lot of people in New York. The rest taking up the challenger spots. Not too many ITF opportunities, particularly in North America this past week. So that's all we got in terms of results from the last week in the pro tennis world from players with college ties. Now, week ahead... U.S. Open will take the headlines. What else do we have outside of that, Jay? Well, there's a few guys using their ATP accelerator entries into the challengers. Some of these challengers this week are in beautiful parts of the world. You've got Como, Italy, and you've got Mallorca. You've got players like Arthur Ferry, Andres Martin using those spots. I believe Joe Monday is as well. Um, so that's the headline on the uh, on the ATP challenger tour. Pretty quiet on the uh, ITF North America side. But I'm sure a lot of the um, the players we mentioned, particularly in Asia, will continue to play uh, those ITF events there. Yeah. I, I mean, again, Tennis World doesn't go to sleep when there's a major, but certainly all eyes turn to it. So, you know, again, yeah. this is the week where if you are a lesser ranked player, maybe you sneak into a 25K. Maybe you sneak into a 50K. Maybe you sneak into a challenger, depending what's on the schedule. That's why I don't think we're going to see a complete dearth of college players this week. I think we're going to have plenty of action to discuss next week, Jay. Well, yeah, certainly. I mean, the U.S. Open, you know, you look at doubles. We still need to make sure we get the calendar year slam on the men's yeah. side. So we'll be tracking that race. Uh, but, yeah, there's always events. The The world never goes to college. Tennis players never go to sleep. But a lot of them are returning to campus right now. So a lot of the active players that we've been talking about uh, won't be as common to see them uh, in any of these events. That's why you want to keep winning. You don't want to go to campus yet. Or maybe if you lose, you want to book it back for welcome week. I guess it depends on your mindset. But again, we will be back next week for what will be one of our final editions. I keep saying that we have a college tennis I know. broadcast What's coming up. What's the cutoff? Well, that's okay, the thing. is that the cutoff? And then we're broadcasting the All-Americans Fall Nats, I think. At least that's the plan for now. Sorry if I got ahead of it. Leave it in. Um, 
the hope, I'll say, is to do that. That's first week of October. So once that hits, summer deciding point is done. We have a college broadcast, I believe, in September that we're locked in on as well. You know, again, I don't know. We'll decide, Jay. Whenever you and I get bored with one another, that'll be our answer. But for now, we continue to roll on. A shout-out to you. Shout-out to Westoff. Been on any job day in, day out. Makes all of this content possible. Any final thoughts before we wrap the show? No. All right. Further expansion. Again, college results. Check out the mini break. I'll recap them specifically every day. I made a new category in my daily recaps, Jay, just to talk about that specifically and the Americans. But that's a story for another time. With all of that said, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.